Lord, you truly are the beautiful one whom we love and adore. And we want to build our lives upon Christ, the solid rock. And Lord, I pray that this morning's sermon would help us to do that. Heavenly Father, would you reveal what is true this morning? Thank you that you are the one who reveals truth to us. I thank you that you have revealed Jesus Christ as Lord and Saviour to us. And I pray now that you would once again move in power to reveal truth to every single person watching this video. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So, we're continuing our sermon series in the Gospel of Matthew. And this morning, we're reading from Matthew 11, verses 20 to 30. I wonder whether you're feeling weary and tired today, whether you're someone who really needs rest, in which case this sermon is for you. I wonder whether you're someone who would love to meet with the king of the universe, the one to whom all things belong. Wouldn't that be amazing? Well, if that's you, then this sermon is definitely for you, because in the passage that we're about to read this morning, Jesus Christ, the King of heaven and earth, issues an invitation. He says, come to me. And Jesus says, Jesus promises, in fact, that anyone who comes to him will receive rest from him. And for that reason, it's going to be a wonderful morning reading the words of Jesus, hearing this invitation to come into his presence, knowing that he promises rest to all who, to, all who respond to that invitation. And let me read to you from Matthew 11, verses 20 to 30. Then Jesus began to denounce the cities where most of his mighty works had been done because they did not repent. Woe to you, Chorazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida! For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be ex exalted to heaven? No, you will be brought down to Hades. For if the mighty works done in you had been in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. But I tell you that it will be more tolerable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom than for you. At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all who labour and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden 
is light. Matthew 11 verse 28 is one of the most famous and most beautiful verses in all of scripture. Jesus, the one to whom all things have been given from the Father. God the Father gives him all things. He says, come to me, all who labour and all who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. It's a wonderful invitation from Jesus, and it's a wonderful, wonderful promise. And we're going to spend most of this sermon thinking about verses 28 and 29. But before we get there, before we get to verse 28, there's three pieces of context in the preceding verses that I want us to see and understand. And I think this context makes that verse even more powerful and even more beautiful. So the first thing I want us to see in verses 20 to 24 is the necessity of repentance. In verses 20 to 24, Jesus denounces three cities, Chorazin, Bethsaida and Capernaum. And it says in verse 20, he began to denounce them because they did not repent. Repentance is a major theme in the Gospel of Matthew. John the Baptist came in Matthew chapter 3 and he preached a message and his message was repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Turn away from your sin because the king is coming. Turn away from your godlessness. Turn away from your sinfulness and start following the king who is coming. And John would baptise people, wash them in the waters of the River Jordan as a symbol of their sin, their past sin being washed away. And then them rising out of the water to a new life, following Jesus who was to come. So John preached a message of repentance, turn from sin and follow the king. And then Jesus in chapter four comes and he preaches the same message. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. I am the king of heaven and earth. I have come to establish my kingdom here on earth. And you can ignore me and you can go on with your godless lives or you can turn and follow me and come to me and be with me. Repent, turn around. Follow me. And when Jesus preached that message, it was accompanied by amazing signs, wonders and miracles. Jesus calmed a storm with just his words. He healed a leper simply by touching him. He drove out a legion of demons from a demon-possessed man by speaking to the demons and commanding them. And they obeyed his command. He heals all the sick. That are brought to him. And in particular, in these cities just north of the Sea of Galilee, Chorazin, Bethsaida, and Capernaum, Jesus was doing amazing miracles and preaching this message of repentance. When Jesus sends out his apostles in chapter 10 on mission, they are to preach the same message as well. The kingdom of heaven is here. And so repentance is a crucial theme. And what Jesus says in verses 20 to 24 is, Because the people in these cities did not repent, there is judgment coming. He says, woe to you, Chorazin, woe to you, Bethsaida. Woe is deep, lasting sorrow. Jesus is declaring this over these places that did not repent. And then he compares the, the sinners in these places to Tyre and Sidon and Sodom, places renowned for being 
very ungodly. And he says, judgment will be more bearable for Tyre, Sidon and Sodom than it will be for you because you saw these amazing miracles and you heard my preaching, but you did not respond. You did not turn away from your sin. And we don't, we're not given detail in that passage about why they did not turn from their sin. We're not told why they refused to repent. Maybe it's because they didn't like the message. They didn't like being told that they were sinners. They didn't like being told that they needed to change their life. Or maybe it's simply because they didn't want to be told what to do by anyone. They wanted to be their own king, their own captain. They didn't want Jesus coming along and telling them how to live their life. Whatever the reason, they refused to listen to Jesus. And so Jesus pronounces woe upon them and judgment upon them. And the message of those verses is very simple. If you do not repent, you will have woe and judgment come upon you. Repentance is necessary. Repentance is crucially important. And for all who do not repent, there will be judgment. What do you need to turn away from this morning? What are the things in your life that you're ashamed of, the things that you aren't proud of, the wrong things that you've thought, said and done? It says in 1 John, if we say we are without sin, we deceive ourselves. So everyone's done things wrong. Everyone needs to repent. Everyone needs to turn away from our sinful and godless lives. And it's not just a one-time thing either. Christianity is a life of repentance, a, a life of turning away from sin. Even this week, there are things that I have done wrong, that I've had to come to God and say, Lord, forgive me. And then I've got to say, fill me with the Holy Spirit. Help me to stop doing that thing. Help me to stop living out that sin and start living in righteousness and following in the footsteps of my Saviour, Jesus Christ. If you're not a Christian, I would urge you to repent. Turn away from your, your current lives and follow Jesus. And if you are a Christian, I say repent to you as well. There are things you need to confess. There are things you need to turn away from. And you need to come to Jesus once more for forgiveness. Repentance is necessary. That's what verses 20 to 24 teach us powerfully. The second thing, the second bit of context I want us to see is the sovereignty of God in salvation. Verses 25 to 26. Look at what those verses say. At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things. When Jesus says these things, he's talking about the kingdom, the necessity of repentance, the judgment that he's just described. He's talking about the things of salvation, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. For this, for such was your gracious will. Those verses clearly teach that it is God who hides and God who reveals the things of salvation to those whom he chooses. Salvation depends on God's gracious will. It's his will. It's his choice. It's his decision according to Matthew 11, verse 26. In fact, in Ephesians 1, verse 4, 
it says, for God chose us before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. If God chose me before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless, in what sense was salvation my choice? Well, ultimately, my salvation does not rest upon me. It rests upon God and his sovereign will, his gracious will, which he declared even before the creation of the world. It's God who hides and God who reveals. And one of the amazing things about that verse is that God often chooses to reveal salvation to little children, to the insignificant people in the world, to the weak people in the world, to the people who aren't the most intelligent people in the world. And he often chooses to hide the things of salvation to those who are wise and understanding. God's done this throughout history. He often chooses weak, insignificant things to shame the wise and powerful things of this world. That's why he chose the nation Israel, a small, powerless nation, as opposed to choosing the empire of Egypt to be his people. Well, how should we respond to this teaching that God is sovereign in salvation? Well, firstly, if you're not a Christian, but you want to have faith, you know, um, my old work colleagues used to say to me, I wish I had faith. I really want to believe, but I just don't. Well, if that's you this morning, then I would urge you to read this verse and to pray something like this. Lord, it says in Matthew 11, verse 25, you hide and you reveal. Lord, I want to have faith. Would you reveal the things of salvation to me? Would you reveal the truth of judgment to come to me? Would you reveal the kingdom of heaven to me? Would you reveal the necessity of repentance to me? Would you reveal Jesus as King, Lord and Saviour to me? I believe God will answer a prayer like that for you. He will reveal himself in power. He will speak to you. He will move in your heart. He will, he will lift your eyes to see Jesus as saviour if you pray a prayer like that. For he is the one who reveals the things of salvation. He is sovereign in salvation. If you're already a Christian, this teaching about God's sovereignty in salvation should move you to be full of thanksgiving. That's what Jesus is doing in chapter 11, verse 25, isn't he? I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth. Jesus is thankful for God's sovereignty in salvation, and we also should be full of thanksgiving. Lord, thank you for saving me. I know I was and am like a little child, insignificant and weak, unable to save myself, totally dependent upon you. I know that I did nothing to deserve salvation, but that you chose me before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless, that you would reveal these things to me. I'm so thankful. I'm so grateful. And when you understand God's sovereignty in salvation, it causes you to be a more thankful and worshipful Christian. So, Jesus teaches the necessity of repentance. He teaches the sovereignty of God in salvation. And thirdly, he speaks about the power and authority that has been given to him in verse 27. All things, Jesus says, have been handed over to me by my Father. I mean, that's some statement, isn't it, from Jesus Christ? All things 
have been given to me. The Father, who is the Lord of heaven and earth, has taken all things in heaven and earth and given them to his Son, Jesus Christ. And so Jesus is now the Lord of heaven and earth. All power and all authority belong to Christ. That's what verse 27 teaches. And again, that's been a big theme in the Gospel of Matthew. When Jesus has healed, it's shown that he has the authority to to heal, to get rid of diseases in in people, to to get rid of affliction. When, When Jesus raised a young girl from death to life, it showed that Jesus has the authority to overcome death. He's the giver of life. He's the one who can defeat death. When when Jesus drives out demons, it shows that he has authority over the demons as well. In other words, all of the stories in Matthew serve to demonstrate this truth, that all things have been given to Jesus. He has all power and all authority. And those three bits of context are absolutely crucial for understanding verse 28 the necessity of repentance, the sovereignty of God in salvation, and the awesome power and authority of Jesus. Give us this context to understand verse 28, where Jesus says, Come to me, all who labour and all who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. The first thing, from verse 28 and 29 that I want us to think about this morning is the character of the one who issues this invitation. You know, when invitations are offered, it matters who gives that invitation to you, doesn't it? If I were to invite you to a party, you'd probably think, ah, when Duncan says party, what he really means is Bible study. And he'll probably get out some of his old theology books or Puritan books and start reading to me with these and thous in them. So if I give you an invitation to a party, you probably think, well, that's not going to be much fun. I'll probably say no. Whereas if my wife, Rachel, invites you to a party, you know it's going to be way more fun. Um, and I'll probably be just in the corner ruining it for everyone by, by trying to do Bible study. I'm, I'm joking, obviously. But it matters who the invitation comes from. If, if an invitation to a party comes from you know, someone who, who all he wants to do is read the theology books, then it's going to be a boring party and you'd, you'd potentially say no. So it really matters who is this one who invites us to come to him. Who is Jesus? He is one with all power and authority. We've read in verse 27. But in verse 29, look at the way Jesus describes himself. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. Jesus has all power. He can do all things. He can call down lightning from the sky to strike you down right now. He can command you with a vicious authority, forcing you and domineering over you to do the things that he wants you to do. But that is not how he chooses to act. Rather, he says, I am gentle. I am gentle. The Lord Jesus is full of compassion and he cares for his people. All who come to Jesus receive 
not from harshness, but receive from his gentleness. He loves his people and he is gentle towards all who come to him. Again, we we see this throughout the Gospel of Matthew time and time again. Jesus shows his gentleness. That the moment where he heals the leper and touches him is a moment of wonderful, gentle affection. It's a terrible idea to touch someone who has leprosy. And yet Jesus, in his caring and compassionate way, stretches out his hand and touches the man to whom no one else would touch, displaying his wonderful gentleness. The Lord does teach us. He says, obviously, in that verse, in verse 29, learn from me. He is a teacher, so he does does want us to grow and to change. But he teaches us gently. I can testify to this from my own life. I've been a Christian for many years, and God over the years has gently taught me how to live as a Christian. And he's still gently teaching me and correcting me. He's a... He's a Lord who offers forgiveness because he's gentle. He doesn't come and tell me all the bad things that I've done and and what a terrible person I am. He says, no, I have died for you on the cross. Here's forgiveness. I love you. I will love you forever. I will lead you forever. Um, A few weeks ago, Jeff preached on Psalm 23 and he spoke about Jesus the shepherd, the one who washes the sheep, the one who feeds the sheep, the one who causes the sheep to lie down in green pastures beside still waters. The Lord Jesus is gentle. He has all power and all authority, and yet in his power and authority, he is gentle to all who come to him. And secondly, Jesus is described as lowly in heart. That simply means humble. Jesus is lowly in heart. He's humble. He who has all authority and power could be proud and arrogant and and speak often of how fantastic he is and how he's so much better than us and over and above us. Jesus comes with a lowliness, with a humility that causes him to serve us. He doesn't domineer over us as would be his right as king. Instead, he's the king who serves his people. He's the servant king. And nowhere else is this more plainly seen than upon the cross. The Bible says, um, the Son of Man, speaking of Jesus, came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. When Jesus dies on the cross, he is fulfilling the ultimate act of service for his people. For what Jesus does on the cross is take our sin upon himself. Jesus was righteous. Jesus was blameless. He did not deserve to die. But what Jesus did in service, in love, in gentleness, in humility, in lowliness of heart, is he takes our sin upon himself and he dies on the cross For our sin, he bears the penalty for the things we had done wrong in order that we might be forgiven. You see, this glorious act of love and compassion, but also this glorious act of service. The king serves his people.
This is why we love Jesus. It's why we're called Christ Church Pharaoh. We love Christ. We love Jesus for many reasons. But one of the reasons we love him is because he's lowly in heart. He, he's humble to serve. He has all power and authority, but he's also gentle and he's also lowly of heart. Yeah, it's amazing to think that this gentleness and this lowness come from his heart, who he is at his very core. And so I want to encourage you that when Jesus says come, that invitation could not come from a more worthy or wonderful individual. He's powerful and gentle and humble. And so when he says come, I want to receive and I want to respond to that invitation with a resounding yes because of who Jesus is. So this powerful one, this gentle one, this lowly in heart one says, come. It's interesting, isn't it, that God is sovereign over salvation. And yet that doesn't mean that Christians should be passive in receiving salvation. We still need to repent and we still need to come to Jesus. Just because God is sovereign doesn't mean we sit there and just go, right, save me. No. We're active in salvation. We repent. We turn from our sin. But we don't just turn away from sin. We turn to Jesus. This is what repentance is. You know, it's not, not, not enough just to turn away from sin and then turn to some other sin. You know, I turn from getting drunk all the time to being selfish and proud and, and spite-filled towards others. No. We turn from our sin and we turn to Jesus. We come to Jesus. This is what it is to repent. Turning away from sin, turning to, coming to Jesus Christ. But if we were alive 2,000 years ago, we were there, present, when Matthew 11 took place, coming to Jesus would be, it'd be obvious what we would need to do. We just need to go to Jesus. He's there physically and we, and we say, Lord, I'm here, I've come to you, what next? What does coming to Jesus look like for us in 2021? Well, firstly, we come to Jesus in prayer. Jesus Christ died on the cross. Then he rose from the grave, defeating death, and he ascended into heaven. Jesus is seated in heaven with his Father. And the Father and the Son poured out the Holy Spirit. That's the third person of the Trinity. The Holy Spirit, who is God, comes to earth and moves in power and resides in the heart of all who have faith in Jesus Christ. Through the Holy Spirit, we can speak with Jesus. We can pray to our Heavenly Father and we can pray to the Lord Jesus Christ. And so to come to Jesus now for us primarily means to pray to him. And we can simply say, Lord Jesus, I want to repent of my sin and I want to come to you. That's a prayer. That's a glorious prayer. That's a wonderful prayer. In particular, when we pray, we, we, we spiritually come to the foot of the cross and we ask for forgiveness. As I mentioned, on the cross, Jesus carried our sin 
and he died in our place in order that we might be forgiven. And so when you come to Jesus in prayer, you come and you say, Lord, I have done things wrong. I have lied. I have been proud. I have stolen things. I have been hurt. I've said hurtful things to other people. Even the people I love, I've said thing, cruel things to them. It's because of my sin that you died on the cross, Jesus. Please forgive me. Please have mercy upon me. That's coming to Jesus. Jesus will offer forgiveness to all who come with that humble attitude, asking for mercy. So coming to Jesus means praying. Coming to Jesus means asking for forgiveness at the foot of the cross in a spiritual sense. Coming to Jesus also means learning from Jesus. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, says Jesus in verse 29. Jesus is the great rabbi, the great teacher, the one who we learn from. He's our saviour upon the cross, but he's also our teacher. Last week, Dyer was preaching about Mary and Martha, and Mary was commended for sitting at Jesus' feet and learning from him. He would have been teaching her, reading from the Old Testament scriptures and telling her what it meant, or teaching her how to live her life. And every Christian should sit at the feet of Jesus and learn from him. And primarily we do that through reading God's word. This book that gives us the Lord Jesus' commands. This book which is the word of God spoken to us. And so when we read it, what we're doing is we're sitting at the feet of Jesus and we're learning. Now I want to challenge you with this. Are you learning from Jesus? If your Bible remains on the bookshelf and is covered with dust, can you truly say that you're learning from Jesus? You know, the word disciple, to be a disciple of Jesus means to be a learner from Jesus. And the primary way we learn is by opening this book and reading about him, not just on a Sunday, but throughout the week. We're wonderfully blessed in having access to these amazing words whenever we need them. And so I want to challenge you. Are you learning from Jesus? That's what it means to come to Jesus. You come to him and you learn from him. And that means reading the word, opening up the Gospel of Matthew or the other Gospels or, or the epistles later on in the New Testament or the Old Testament and learning about God and learning about Jesus. All the scriptures, the law, the prophets, all testify about Jesus. That's what Jesus says in Luke 24. All these scriptures concern me. So are you learning from Jesus? Is he your teacher? Or are you simply just going about life however you like, ignoring Jesus' instructions for your life? So coming to Jesus means praying. It means asking for forgiveness. It means learning from him. Finally, it means submitting to him. When Jesus says, take my yoke upon you, he's using a farming metaphor. And um, a farmer would yoke two oxen together in order to drive a plough or, or move the farming equipment. And so Jesus says, take my yoke upon you. Jesus is saying, I'm the farmer. I'm going to place my yoke on you. And what the farmer would do is steer, guide the oxen in the direction that they needed to go. And the oxen needed to be submissive to the, to the farmer's guidance. And so in the same way, Jesus says, if you come to me, you need to submit to my guidance, my leadership, the way I'm going to teach you to go. 
So coming to Jesus means praying, it means asking for forgiveness, it means learning from Jesus, and it means saying, Lord, I want to be your servant. You have served me as king wonderfully. Now may I serve you. I submit to you. When you say go, I will go. When you say stay, I will stay. If you say do this, I will do this. When I read your word and I read your instructions, I'm going to, I'm going to do the thing. I'm not just going to read the words. I'm going to do the things that it says. For you are my Lord and you are my King. Come to Jesus. Come to him. Come to him in prayer. Enter into a relationship with King Jesus. Ask for forgiveness and he will surely give it to you. The Christian life begins with a wonderful declaration that you are forgiven. You are good in the sight of God. You are adopted into the family of God. Come to Jesus by learning from him, primarily through the Bible, and come to Jesus by submitting to him. Finally then, what is the benefit What's the benefit of coming to Jesus? And I think the answer is truly glorious. Come to me, all you who labour, and I will give you rest. And not just any rest. Rest for your souls, it says at the end of verse 29. Not five minutes sat on the sofa. Rest for your souls. Jesus is contrasting his offer of salvation with the teaching of the Pharisees in Israel during the day. And what the Pharisees had wrongly understood is that they thought the Old Testament taught being godly was all about outward obedience. You follow the rules, you do these things, you look respectable and good on the outside and you will be accepted amongst the godly. God will accept you, God will honour you if you do the outward things outwardly. In other words, what the Pharisees were teaching was hard labour. You've got to follow this rule. You've got to obey this command. You've got to do this thing in order to be accepted by God. That's hard work. And you can imagine some of the people listening to this teaching just being wearied by these constant commands. I've got to, every day I've got to read this command and then I've got to do it and then I've got to go back to and read another command and do that as well and so on and so forth. It's just so much hard work. And if I don't do these things, the Pharisees will reject me and God will reject me. It's wearying its labour. That is real labour. Trying to, trying to achieve righteousness in the sight of God over and over again. That's not what Jesus says. Jesus says, come to me and I will give you rest. And that rest comes in the form of forgiveness and righteousness. This is the good news of Christianity. When you come to Jesus, he forgives you for the things you've done wrong. And he gives you his righteousness, his goodness. Jesus takes our sin and we take his righteousness, his goodness, so that we stand before God as beloved children, righteous in his sight, blameless in his sight. We no longer need to labour to earn our way into God's good books. Christ has simply given us that righteousness as a gift of grace, a gift that we did not earn and did not deserve. And that is a wonderful, restful thing. Jesus loves me. God loves me forever and ever. I don't need to do anything. Jesus won my righteousness for me on the cross. 
I no longer need to labour the way the Pharisees are teaching me to. The other thing um, that causes us to labour is to earn other people's love and or respect. I think this is what drives a lot of our lives in this modern day and age. You know, I work really hard at my job in order to earn the respect of my boss. Or I work really hard in order to earn the love, love from my parents perhaps, or love from my partner or spouse. You know, you you work really hard in order that other people might love you, in order that other people might respect you. I need to get a promotion so that people will respect me. I need to earn more money in order to get respect. I need to I need to have a bigger pay rise so I can get a bigger house and a better car in order that other people would look upon me and be impressed. And so if you're constantly fighting for love and fighting for respect, you're going to work hard. You're going to have big burdens on your shoulders as you try and carry and juggle and achieve all the things that you want to achieve in order to earn love and earn respect. But when Jesus says, come to me, he says, I'll give you rest. Come to me. I'll give you rest because you'll no longer need to earn love. If you come to me, God will love you forever and ever and ever with a perfect love. He will be your father in heaven. Isn't isn't that what it says in in verse uh, 27? No one knows the son except the father and no one knows the father except the son and anyone to whom the son chooses to reveal him. When you come to Jesus, Jesus reveals God the father to us. We enter into a relationship. It says in the New Testament, the Holy Spirit enters our hearts so that we cry, Abba, Father. I know God the father. He is my father. He he loves me. He cares for me. Nothing I do can separate me from the love of God. Nothing at all. I no longer need to earn God's love. God's love has been given freely and graciously. And so through forgiveness and through the the unconditional love that God has for me, I can breathe a sigh of relief and rest in God's love. Gentle Jesus lowly Jesus and yet powerful Jesus has said to me come and so I have entered glorious wonderful rest the Christian life is a life of repentance a life of turning away from sin and a life of turning to Jesus Christ the Christian life is a life of coming to Jesus all the time coming into his presence in prayer, coming in to learn from him by reading the Bible, coming to Jesus over and over. And So I want to challenge you if you're a Christian. When you're weary, where do you go? I think often our habits and our tendency is when we're feeling weary to you know, binge watch TV or, or stick on a movie. And There's nothing wrong with watching a movie or watching TV in and of itself. Those are things that I do. But if that is our answer and solution to weariness, we're doing ourselves more harm than good. Jesus says, if you want real rest, come to me. I don't know whether you've ever experienced this, but when I watch too much TV or watch watch too much on TV, for example, I feel more weary at the end than when I started. Do you know why? It's because those things don't really offer rest. 
but Jesus does. In Isaiah 40, the prophet Isaiah says, those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength. And here in Matthew 11, those who come to Jesus will find rest. We need to practice this in our lives. Coming to Jesus, I'm weary today. I need to come to Jesus in prayer. And this is also my experience. When I binge watch TV, I feel more tired at the end of it. But when I go to a prayer meeting or when I spend half an hour in prayer, I feel energised, enlivened in Christ. He gives me energy. He gives me rest. He takes away my weariness and he fills me with the Holy Spirit to go again. You know, I know what it is to be busy. Planted a church and for nearly two years was working two jobs Um digital marketing job and pastoring a church job. And to be honest, neither of them were part-time. Both were full-time jobs. It was hard labour. And yet, during those years, during that time, I knew rest from Jesus Christ. And now I have the huge blessing of being a full-time pastor. And I've known great rest in coming to Jesus over and over again, to read the Bible and to pray, to come to Jesus in that way, takes away my weariness. It really does. And I believe Jesus will do the same for you as well if you respond that way. Let me draw to a close by speaking to you again if you don't know Jesus. And particularly, I want to speak to those people who feel busy, heavy laden, burdened and weary. Whatever reason you have for being busy and burdened, some of you have excellent reasons for working really hard, for feeling and carrying burdens. But we all get to that point where we just feel desperate, really. In our weariness, I need rest. We get to a point where we need rest. Jesus is speaking directly to you through this passage in Matthew 11. He says, come to me, you who labour and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Come to Jesus now in prayer and find the glorious rest that Jesus speaks of. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are gentle and lowly in heart. And we thank you for revealing the Father to us. Heavenly Father, thank you for your eternal love for us. And I thank you that in your love we can rest forever. We can find rest for our souls. And I pray, Lord God, now you would take away weariness from all those watching this video. You would energize people. You would you would grant them strength and grant them rest now for your glory and for your praise. Lord, I pray you would teach our hearts how important repentance is and we would live lives of repenting, turning away from sin and coming back to Jesus over and over again every day. Lord, I confess my sin. I'm sorry. I turn away and I come back to you. I thank you, Lord, that you are sovereign in salvation. And I praise you for all who have trusted in you, that you have revealed the truth of the gospel to their hearts. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your power and authority. You are the king of heaven and earth. Now, in the power of the Holy Spirit, may we come to you in prayer. May we come to you crying for mercy. May we come to you and learn from you. And may we come to you and submit to you that you might lead and guide us into righteousness and joy and love and peace 
just as you promise you will in your word. As we draw near to you, Lord, would you draw near to us now? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.